All right, welcome back to Third String Podcast. Yet another great day for podcasting. And today I'm joined by Ishan and Pete, my regular co-hosts on this show. We're, we have a lot to talk about today, and this is in the midst of March Madness, but actually we're not going to talk about March Madness. We're going to talk about the greatest American sport, that is baseball, and opening day is Ooh, right around the corner. Disagree. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Well, I guess I'm not surprised. I'm a basketball guy, yeah, basketball. Um, Pete, would you at least agree that baseball is the greatest American sport? Baseball was my first true love. I uh, I do cheat on it from time to time between the months of November and March, but baseball was my first great love. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, we're going to talk about baseball, Pete's first great love today. It'll be great. We're going to talk about National League and American League Central. But before we do that, it is March Madness season. I'd be remiss if I did not point out some of these upsets last night. We had Florida State over Gonzaga. We had Loyola, Chicago over Nevada. Guys, are your brackets still alive, still hanging in there? Not the left side. My bracket was actually on track until Gonzaga lost yesterday. But okay. now it's done. Yeah, same. Uh, we all were, were pretty high on Gonzaga. <laughs> uh, Gonzaga didn't really show up against Florida State last night. I have been really surprised by this Florida State team. I mean, the left side of the bracket is full of surprises, but boy, that Florida State team was not the one I saw in ACC play, so they got hot at the right time. I feel like these mid-major conference, this is the opposite of what mid-major, these like mid-level major conference schools like Kansas State and Florida State being nine seeds, kind of having mediocre seasons and then dominating the tournament is actually like the best illustration of parody because like when a small conference school wins in the spring, like you don't know, maybe they were just really good all along. But like these teams have played the top teams over and over and like we knew they're not that good and now they're winning, which just illustrates that all the teams are about as good as each other and March is a totally random event. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I do have to give you guys kudos because you identified Loyola Chicago as a potential cinderella story early on before the tournament even started so you guys called that correctly it was great i uh you know i i finally started believing and jumping on the loyola bandwagon right before they went over nevada and it's a good thing i did because they won you know i've actually predicted uh 27 out of every 10 upsets involving chicago teams (laughs) perfect yeah well i mean if you uh you know if you always say the same thing you're gonna be right at least a couple times right yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys ready to talk baseball? Speaking of Chicago teams. Let's do yes. it. All right. So the National League and American League Central Divisions, a lot of stuff to talk about here. I think there's a lot of exciting, good baseball that we're going to see coming out of both of these divisions uh, this year. And I'm really excited to watch a few players in particular. But let's start with this question. Which team out of each division do you think is most improved after the offseason? Ishan, let's start with you. Uh, let's go one division at a time. Maybe we should start with the AL. Sure. Uh, which team is most improved? I'm going to go off the beaten path a little bit, and I'm going to say that it might not all show up this year, but I think the White Sox are on a real upward path to contention. It's not so much with, and I, I don't, I don't think it's going to happen this year. And I, it's not so much with adding guys from the outside. It's just these minor leaguers are growing up and, yeah. uh, Already at the end of last season, Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez started, uh, got some starts in the rotation, looked really good. Uh, Carson Fulmer, who's kind of a former top prospect, former first-round pick, who kind of struggled a lot, started to turn it around a little bit. Yon Moncada, the big centerpiece of the Chris Sale uh, deal, yep. got to the major leagues and started started uh, to show some signs of his upside. And then this year, sometime, hopefully later in the summer, Michael Kopech, I'm not sure if it's Kopech or Kopech. I think it's Kopech. The 100-mile-an-hour flamethrower and Eloy Jimenez, the 
top prospect they got in the Jose Quintana deal are expected right. in Chicago. So uh, I see them as the team in the AL Central on the steepest upward path, although they're starting from way behind. So uh, still still going to be a ways behind. Yeah, you know, I really like that you identified the White Sox. Like you said, it's not it's not like they've had a really busy 2017-18 offseason, but they've made some moves here in the past 18 months that have really set them up for success. The, the Chris Sale trade I wrote about uh, for third string back when it happened um, about a year and a half ago. And yeah, they, they shipped off Chris Sale to the Red Sox and the Red Sox sent back Yuan Mankata, this um, uh, hot swinging second baseman and Michael Kopech, who's kind of like, um, I don't know if I were to choose a major league comp for Kop- Kopech, I'd probably say Cindergard. Um, for sure they got he, that uh, long blonde hair too yeah yeah so there are like visual similarities but uh you, you, like you said ishan this guy's a flamethrower throws 100 plus miles an hour um i think he's had some arm soreness issues in the minors that caused him to bump down some um uh, some prospect lists a little bit but he still he still has really high upside i mean everybody including Syndergaard, who throws 100 plus has arm soreness issues so um, really high ceiling on that and then yeah the quintana trade to the cubs i want to talk about quintana later in this in this podcast but the, uh, the Eloy Jimenez um, return that the White Sox got, I think, was really good um, and really sets them up for, for success because Quintana's ready to be an, be an ace potentially now, and, and I want to talk about this a little bit later, but uh, he has really high upside. The, the White Sox just weren't ready to have someone of Quintana's caliber on their staff at this moment, so they're they're rebuilding, I think, effectively, and I think they're definitely a good team to watch. Real but quick Pete, let's, on Kopech, let's, 100, yeah. 172 strikeouts and 134 innings last year between AA and AAA with a 288 ERA. He's yeah, coming. that's 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 just absolutely absurd. I'm excited to, to see Cindergard 2.0. Um, Pete, over to you. Uh, what do you think is the most improved team in the offseason? So uh, interesting points on the White Sox for sure. I, I like their their prospect game. I'm I'm not willing to get as as aggressive on the the bottom of the division as much as I'm looking at the the Minnesota Twins. So uh, the Twins had a very surprising year last year, as I know you guys are tracking on. They did uh, finish the season 17 games back. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they, they've made some outstanding improvements here over the off seasons, uh, most specifically in shoring up uh, a pretty middle of the road rotation last year. Uh, Jake uh, Odorosi and Lance Lynn coming over to the club. I am a I'm a big Lance Lynn fan, to be honest. And looking at Lance Lynn and what he did in St. Louis there for a few years, uh, he was really the bedrock of that rotation as the number three guy, which I know doesn't make a lot of sense at face value. But if you look at all the injuries that those St. Louis rotations have had over the past couple years, Lance Lynn was, was the consistent guy. So the fact that he is he's able to, to bring this to Minnesota, choosing Minnesota over the Cardinals, which I thought was interesting, I think is a big deal. Uh, 3.43 ERA uh, for the, the Cardinals last year, uh, which, is a, which is about 20% better than, than what the, the league average is if you're looking at it. Uh, but what I also like is is their young guy game. Uh, if you look at the average of their roster right now, 26 is their average age. They're a heavy left uh, left hand uh, uh, batting order as well. Uh, and I'm really liking just overall the way that they are investing in the young guys. They're not making huge offseason deals that are going to cost them four or five years in contract terms. I think the Lance Lynn deal was probably a year or two too long. But at the same time, I really like the way that Minnesota is kind of playing the middle of the road game. Uh, instead of going for the, those big uh, kind of sexy pickups uh, that we've seen some teams like the Yankees, the Red Sox uh, going for this this past offseason. So uh, I'm pretty high on the Twins right now in terms of, of their upside. Uh, I think they have a very, very high ceiling. Still not as high as Cleveland, but a pretty high ceiling uh, out there in the Twin Cities this year. 
Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of good points. Uh, I would also identify the Twins as the most improved in the offseason, which is interesting given that uh, I was on Fangraphs earlier today, and Fangraphs actually has the Twins as uh, worse this year, projected standings, than last year. They uh, won 85 games last year, 525 winning percentage. This year, Fangraphs is saying they're going to win 82. So, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if I agree with that, given uh, some of the things you just identified, Pete. I don't think you talked about Fernando Rodney, who the— uh, twins signed from Arizona. And this guy um, in his age 40 season last year was quietly one of the better relievers in baseball. Uh, he He's on a one-year deal with the Twins. Uh, also on a one-year deal is Lance Lynn, who you mentioned. Um, and I think the Twins are are kind of realizing this is this is a year they could make a splash. They could go to the postseason and, and maybe get to the uh, ALCS if they get a little bit lucky uh, in the divisional round. And Jake Odorizzi, also a good pickup also on a one-year contract. So I'm sensing a theme here from the Twins front office. This is their year, they think, to contend. I don't think they're, uh, I think they're bullish on their own chances. I don't think they're looking at the the 82 wins. I think they're probably eyeing more like an 87, 88 win season. Um, But those are my quick thoughts. Ishan, what do you think? Uh, Yeah, I'm not super high on the Twins. I would say I'm like closer to where Fangraphs is. I think they overperformed a little bit last year, only had that plus 27 run differential. Uh, you know, is Brian Dozier really going to hit 34 homers again? I think uh, some of the pitching, I'm not, I guess, like, I I sort of feel the opposite of how Pete's, Pete uh, feels what he said a second ago in the sense that uh, I think the Twins are very, they have a lot of, like, solid players, and it's hard to imagine them, like, really crashing and burning, but it's hard for me to see the upside. Like, I'm not really... All these pitchers are like decent, but there's no real no there's no one who's a real number one or even like a real number two in that rotation. And so it's hard for me to see how they break like 90 wins. I would say 87, 88 feels like where they're gonna max out. Well, I, I think you gotta look at the the rest of the division. I'm I'm definitely in agreement with you that they're not a 90 plus win team, but look at the rest of this division. Aside from uh cannibalizing itself against Cleveland, I mean Detroit, the White Sox, and Kansas City, and I know this is a bigger discussion. I just think the fact that they're sitting in a, a weaker AL Central aside from the top team right now is, is going to prop them up a little and help them contend for that wild card spot. Probably not division lead, uh, but I think wild card spot they're pretty legit for. That's actually so, a really good point. Uh, I forgot about I wasn't think I wasn't taking into account the unbalanced schedule. That's probably how they get to a few more wins than their actual talent level might project to. Y- yeah, I think that's exactly it, and that's that's why I was saying that you know if they get, if they can get luck if they can get to the postseason, which I think is possible, and they can get lucky in the divisional round, then they can find themselves in an in an ALCS. Um, but real quick, before we leave the Twins here, what do you guys think of Byron Buxton? Because he's one, in my opinion, the most fun outfielder to watch in the game. Um, maybe uh, maybe uh, maybe right behind Kevin Kiermeyer, but I like both of these guys defensively. They're so fun to watch when they're on defense. But Byron Buxton has been a really low ceiling offensive guy in the past, and last season he was he started out way below average. He was in a big slump to start the season, and then he sort of climbed a little bit above average. And then by the halfway mark of the season, he was regressing again. And then for the second half of the season, he was he was really good in, in some cases, lights out. So what do you guys think is Byron Buxton's true performance this season? What do you think his ceiling is? Hmm, that's uh, that's interesting because I, I was specifically uh, reading about him uh, a couple days ago, actually. Uh, exact same thing, Zach, with, with the excitement. Uh, so I know that he was, I think he was below 250. I'm going to pull up his stats here in a second once I'm done talking. I think he was below 250 on the year. Does that sound about right? 
Uh, yes, I think it was like 241. Let me, uh, I'll pull it up too. Okay. Yeah, and, and he was just so hot and cold that, that I think uh, that, that was a big factor that they're worried about. Uh, the only thing that kind of worries me about him is he does have about a 30% strikeout uh, percentage if i'm if i'm thinking it my computer's being a little slow here yeah, right now 29.4 um, and and by the way his uh he was 253 last semester okay okay so a little better than i thought so uh he's actually one of my uh i was just jotting down some keys as we were talking about what i think uh, could really help the, the twins and they just need some consistency out of him i think if he gets that average up to, to 265 270 this year uh, i think he's going to be exactly what they need because they have enough other consistent performers again they're not an all-star roster by any stretch right now but i think they've got enough consistency in in aging joe mauer if he stays healthy i think miguel sano if he's not in jail for whatever domestic violence he's got going on uh, i i think they've got enough solid performers that if he can uh kind of get above that that 265 level uh, i think it's going to make a big difference for the the twins ishan what do you think I mean, I don't have strong opinions, but just looking back at his numbers from his minor league days and his early major league days, it's just hard for me to see how he projects as a star. Maybe like a Jason Hayward before he stopped hitting at all type star, who when you add it all up, the defense, the base running, 29 stolen bases and 30 attempts last year, for example. When you add it all up, maybe that kind of a star, but like, you know, his on-base percentage, it was three 315 last year, I think, roughly. Uh, so he, he's a long way from getting that into like offensive star territory and similarly with the power like he was never more than like a 15 homers for 500 at bats kind of guy in the minors so it's hard for me to project how that would suddenly shoot up in the majors so yeah i think byron buxton's like a very good player uh you know a solid starter but it's hard for me i I don't think i see the same upside that i hear people talk about yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. I like your uh, Dexter Fowler comp. I think that's probably about right. I mean, obviously very plus defensively, a little bit more of a ceiling offensively. He he doesn't have big power. That's pretty evident in the minors. But I'm bullish on, on Buxton for this reason. He doesn't even yet have a 1,000 plate appearances at the professional level. He's he's young. I think he's just sort of um, just sort of getting a grasp on the professional game. And I think the surge of the second half of last season is evidence of that when he had a way higher weighted on base average. So each time you brought up the on base uh, percentage points, that's it's it's looking better and it has looked better um, since the second half of last season. So I'm bullish on him. I, I think this is a good year for him, uh, and I'm excited to see see more of him out of Minnesota. But um, let's let's move it along a little bit here. National League Central most improved after the offseason. Can we? Uh, are we going to finish the AL Central first? Like predictions for the standings and stuff or are we gonna get to oh, that we'll, later? We'll, yeah we'll come back to that we'll just okay. we'll keep on this question of most improved after the offseason and we'll and we'll come back to al uh well so i think for the nl it's a lot more clear in the sense that uh at least in terms of players added i think that what the brewers did is really could be pretty special bringing in yelich and kane to add to their outfield uh i think the big question for the brewers is they added a lot, but did they add in the right places in the sense that, uh, you know, now looking at their depth chart, they have Yelich, Kane, and Domingo Santana, a guy who hit 30 home runs last year in the outfield. And then on the infield, on the corners, they have Travis Shaw and Eric T- T- uh, Thames, two guys who also, I think, both hit 30 homers last year. And yeah. so Ryan Braun is like, not uh, you know, kind of a man without a position. I heard he was offering to potentially play second base. Uh, which seems like a terrible idea considering he's bad at defense at first base and not very mobile anymore at this stage in his career. Uh, and so it's kind of like they have a lot of offensive talent now, but uh, they didn't really go out and add that 
difference-making starting pitcher that I think could have been a stronger place for them, especially uh, with Jimmy Nelson out until probably June with shoulder injury. And, you know, these pitchers on the Brewers, Nelson, Davies, Chase Anderson, they all kind of, maybe I just don't know their backgrounds well enough, but it seems like they all kind of came out of nowhere last year to have these really strong seasons with the RAs yeah. and the mid threes and mid you know high twos even for Anderson. So it's just not really clear to me that their starting pitching is is legit in terms of not just having career seasons, but actually being that good. And so it seems like they might fall a little short in the pitching department, but that offense is going to be scary. Yeah, I think you're totally right. And your Jimmy Nelson point is also spot on. I think the big question mark on this Brewers team is their pitching. And Jimmy Nelson was their surprise ace. He had his fourth major league season last year and just just came almost out of nowhere and had a really strong season, really good stat line. So the loss of him as basically their staff ace is is a big one. Um, looking at this team last year, if I'm a GM for any major league team, I'm calling um, the GM of the Brewers and asking for permission to interview their pitching coach because he's doing something he's doing something right, whatever it is. He's getting a lot of mileage out of these guys who, like you said, Ishan, sort of just came out of nowhere. And I think the question is for 2018, will the Brewers be able to sustain that? There's I mean, not a question Corey of Knievel last year too, just to add on to your point. Like, yeah, he was completely on. I think his strikeout rate was like over 40. percent I didn't look that up, but yeah, well, he's, his, like, his he's case is untouchable. Yeah, so per nine innings, 13.5 strikeouts, which is insane. And, and his left on his left on base percentage seventy eight point nine, which is um, right behind Corey Kluber. <laughs> and you so, were watching you know, this guy dominate. It's like, who is this guy? Like, I've never yeah. seen him before, and he's like yeah. one of the best closers in baseball. All of a sudden, yeah, totally. But but I agree with your your uh, point about the the biggest offseason acquisitions in uh, Kane and Yelich. So, uh, Pete, what do you think? National League Central biggest offseason acquisitions. What do you think of the Brewers? Yeah, I- I was eyeing the Brewers, so I, I won't uh, rehash some of the, the great points you guys made. I think the, the gold glove outfielders are going to be key. The starting pitching, I think, is a big problem, especially with guys like Matt Garza, who didn't have a phenomenal year at all, uh, but but they lost a lot of experience. I like Zach Davies, though. I'll caveat that the question for me is, can he kind of fill in as the ace uh, until Jimmy Nelson gets back? And I'm seeing 29 June is the earliest possible return for Jimmy Nelson. So you're basically looking at playing almost half the season uh, without kind of your, your true ace and your true number one guy. Yeah. Uh, so I think the, the Brewers, it's it's going to be interesting. It could kind of be like the Brewers of old, though, where they had tons of offense and not a lot of, of pitching. I mean, remember, the, the Brewers were the, the team to beat in the NL Central uh, there and really the uh, kind of the early 2010s. I'm thinking kind of 2010, 2011, 2012. It was them versus the Cardinals every year, it felt like, in, in that division. So we, we might see it... Uh, and I like Craig Council as the manager uh, for the Brewers, so I, I agree they made some great improvements. I will caveat, though, that the, the Cardinals did also make some good improvements. I don't think they made necessarily enough to, to still get on the level of the Cubs, which are obviously the, the, the goal in St. Louis every year is to make sure that they're better than the Cubs. Uh, I don't think they're there yet. Uh, but uh, I think the way the Cardinals actually did it, uh, one, uh, they obviously took advantage of the, the Derek Jeter fire sale going on in Miami, uh, picking up Marcel Azuna. Uh, I think that he could be a 30 home run, 300 average guy. I know he hasn't hit for that average yet, but I think in the, the friendly-ish confines of Bush Stadium, he could do better there. And Mike Matheny actually rebuilt a lot of his coaching staff here in the offseason, bringing Jose Akendo back to kind of get back to some of those fundamentals that used to be one of the, the Cardinal tenants. So I think defensively, the Cardinals are going to get shored up a little. 
they brought Mike Maddox in, uh, the, the former Nationals pitching coach who, who made his exit with Dusty Baker. Uh, so I think some of the areas that the Cardinals have had some problems with in the past couple of years uh, could be shored up a little. Obviously, good coaching doesn't always translate to, to good performance on the field, but a lot of exits out of St. Louis this this past year and a lot of young guys coming up with a lot of new coaches. This this team could, could turn it on here. Uh, kind of, I'm thinking, probably May-June is when they, they could start hitting their stride i think they're going to have kind of a rough april with so much new blood in the ballpark but uh don't don't sleep on the cardinals also the cardinals uh plus 56 run differential was quite a bit better than their 83 and 79 record last year so just yeah. a little bit of bounce back yeah, great point. probably too yeah so i think they underperformed last year and on your ozuna point i think that's a great call pete and um could have a big impact on the uh nl central because um, Ozuna, I think, is just an unheralded hitter. He's he's playing in Miami, and if you're not Giancarlo Stanton, you're not going to get much attention in Miami, and that's why people don't don't know much about Christian Yelich either. So uh, Ozuna's down there, but last season he quietly hit more home runs than Joey Votto for a higher average than Mike Trout. So wow. so, so those two, that. yeah, those two numbers to me tell tell me all I need to know about how much Ozuna can bring to the to the Cardinals ballpark in Busch Stadium. Well, let's let's uh, move to American League real quick. We kind of talked about some of these acquisitions, so uh, I don't want to be redundant. But biggest biggest acquisition that changes the uh, picture for 2018, um, I would just point to the question marks on those one year deals to Fernando Rodney and Jake Odorizzi um, on the Twins, uh, because I think I think that'll that'll determine sort of whether or not the Twins are are close uh, to the Indians or are really in the thick of the wild card race. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think the big question in the American League Central is just, like, is it going to be a really boring division again? Like, last year, there were a lot of boring divisions in baseball. The Nationals won by won the NL East by 20 games. The Astros won the AL West by 21 games. The NL West was over early with the Dodgers. The AL Central was over early with the Indians. And I think uh, I'm, con- I'm concerned we're shaping up to have a bunch of uninteresting division races again this year. And I think the AL Central is a leading candidate for that. So, uh for the sake of just having something entertaining going on, uh, I would love for the Twins to overperform and get close to the Indians, but it seems hard for me to imagine that happening. Yeah, and and actually what stands out to me with the acquisitions specifically in ways that could change the AL Central was how quiet Cleveland was this year. Obviously, Cleveland was a phenomenal team last year um, that, that obviously didn't work out when they, they ran into the Astros, uh, but they were they were pretty quiet. Uh, this this offseason, and they've got a lot of contracts that are due to expire here in the next year or two. So I'm, I'm not saying this is the last possible year for the Indians to do something. Uh, I think that they have a great GM. Obviously, Tito Frank, Francona is fantastic as well. They've they've got the leadership there, but the the window could be closing a little on Cleveland, and they didn't do anything. So uh, I I think great points on the the AL Central race being a uh, couldn't. I don't want to say might not be as interesting, uh, but could take a, a different turn than we were expecting, and not necessarily in a good way. If you're a if you're a Cleveland fan, yeah, I could see the Indians taking a step back, though. I guess that wouldn't that wouldn't shock me. What are you gonna say, Zach? Well, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think uh, just real quick, I think they will take a step back. I mean, they won 102 games last year, right? That's um that's not easy to do again, and I th- I think they I think they got a little bit lucky in a few games last year. Um, but I was going to say, let's just segue to the question of who will win the division. So make some win predictions. And this is probably not going to be as hard as it was for, for example, the American League East when we had this discussion. Um, but Pete, you mentioned the Indians. Do you think, do you guys think that the Indians are a lock to win the American League Central? I don't think they're a lock. I think baseball's weird and we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, sure. I don't, I think, 
out of the out of all the divisions, the Indians aren't even. I think like the Nationals and probably maybe one or two other teams like the Astros are going to be heavier favorites. I think the Indians are like the third or fourth heaviest favorite out of any division favorite. Yeah, I maybe maybe I'm just reeling from March Madness where I don't want to call anyone a lock. I mean, Cleveland above and beyond has the best rotation uh, and, and the, the best back end of, of any of the five teams in this division. I mean, if Corey Kluber is 50% as good as he was last year, this year, uh, and the rest of the staff can keep it going and get some solid innings, uh, I don't think anyone can really truly catch them uh, and, and get hot on offense against them. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm hesitant to call him a lock just because uh, personally, I'm seeing the twins going in the right direction so much. Maybe like a yeah. better way to frame this question is what is the scenario? Like wh- if Cleveland falls short, how, how do we envision it happening? Yeah, well, I, l- let me just jump in right there then. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll, I'll disagree with you guys and say that they're more of a lock than we think. I think... Um, the Astros are the only team in their respective division that's more of a lock. I think the Indians have a better chance than the Yankees. Uh, I would definitely say even than the Nationals. I think the Mets are lurking, and I think there are question marks, big question marks around the the health of the Mets rotation. But if they can stay healthy, they could challenge the the Nats. And and the Nats, sorry, Pete, have a, a history of underperforming. Um, what, to you know, say the least. Down no, the stretch, it's, it's yeah. a fair point. <laughs> um, so I think the Indians ha- have this pretty much locked up. I, I'm not concerned about that, but I do think. Ishan, to your point, if they lose the division, it'll be because of some freak things happening. You know, uh, Corey Kluber uh, injures his UCL or has some lingering back soreness that keeps him out for half the season. You know, Francisco Lindor, uh, like like Bryce Harper last year, hits a hits a base in a funny way and, and tears an MCL or sprains an ACL or something like that. And so they just lose some key guys to injury down the stretch and uh, and can't, can't lock it up. But I, I really think a lot, a lot would have to go wrong for the Indians to lose the, the Central. I'm going to toss out a slightly different hypothesis, which is I think the path to them not 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 being that good anymore, maybe still winning the Central because like I'm, I'm not super high on the other contenders in the Central, but uh, you know they could win the Central with like 87 wins or something, and sure. that would still be several steps back. Uh, I think it's I think their offense is a little thin. Like Edwin Encarnacion, he's going to be 36 this year, and he had 38 homers last year, but guys tend to decline quickly in their mid in their mid 30s and Santana's gone and so looking at their lineup it's really only like I see two real different difference makers in Jose Ramirez and Lindor but uh and you know maybe you can include you could throw Michael Brantley into that group but uh I think they have a lot of like very average players starting on their on offense yeah so I think that's true but that's to me why I would say they won't beat the Astros or the Yankees or potentially the Red Sox in the playoffs I think they're, I think they'll make it to the playoffs, no question, and I think they'll probably lose in the divisional round um, because of that weakness. They have definitely significant holes in their lineup. But in the regular season, I mean, they're going to be facing AL Central teams a lot, and that's the pitching staffs like the Twins, who we already talked about, the Royals, Tigers, the White Sox still rebuilding. So I, I don't see them as having a particularly tough road to the AL Central title. In the playoffs, absolutely, uh, but not, not, to just to get, not to just win the division. That could be true, but uh, they could win way fewer games following the division. I would not be, I wouldn't be shocked if they don't win ninety games. Okay, wow. So ninety, that's a pretty, that's a pretty low over under. I mean, right now, Fangraphs. So they won one hundred and two games last year, which I mentioned. Fangraphs projects them to win ninety three. So that's a pretty significant step down from what they did last year. But even so, Fangraphs projects the, projects the Twins, like we already talked about, to win eighty two games. So even with those projections, with uh, the Indians taking a huge step back. There's a there's a nine game buffer there, 
uh, to winning the division. So I really think a lot has to go wrong for that to happen. I agree with that, but that's like a vote of low confidence in the other teams. Yeah, mostly. fair enough. What do you think, Pete? Uh, I was I was scribbling down a couple of minutes ago, kind of what I was projecting for the the different teams, and I had I had them sitting at ninety five. So I'm I'm not too far off from you guys. I I think they're going to come down a little, but uh, I mean I'm I'm looking at these other teams, Detroit, who I mean they're I'll I'll look it up here in a sec. Their their roster average has to be about thirty five right now, where they continue to depend on the guys like uh, Miggy and. And Annabelle Sanchez, they're, they're just getting so old in Detroit. And, and looking at these other teams, I'm just not optimistic. So uh, I, I'll, I'll say it now, and you guys can, can bring it up on cold takes here in October. I will be shocked if if the, the Indians uh, fall that far. I think I'll go 91 wins, I'm going to guess. And I think they win the division like fairly comfortably. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that's conceivable. 91 is probably accurate. I would, I would probably say like 92, 93, but I think they'll win the divisions by a healthy five or six games. I don't think it'll be close down the stretch. Well, let's move to National League Central, though. Um, are the Cubs a lock to win the National League Central? So as you guys know, I'm a fan of the Cubs and the White Sox, the one weird guy who cheers for both the Chicago teams. Uh, I think that the... Cubs are less of a lock only because I think the Brewers and Cardinals are like legitimate, legitimately good teams of which there does not exist the second one in the AL Central. But I also think that the Cubs are uh, ready to absolutely dominate this year. I think they're going to have a huge season and win a ton of games. Uh, so I think they're less of a lock, but uh, also a much better team in projection than the Indians. I, I think if, if you're the Cubs this year, and, and obviously Joe Mann's going to keep managing, they're, they're still going to have all this young talent and Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, and, and the, the long-term outlook for the Cubs organization is, is so bright. But at the same time, I feel like the expectations are so high this year. Uh, it's, I, I don't want to call it World Series or bust because that never turns out well, but if this team is not in the NLCS this year, it is a massive disappointment, in my opinion, because uh, Ishan, I agree with you. This this Cubs team should be dominant. Um, I know some people were questioning the U Darvish pickup. I love the U Darvish pickup. I think uh, the the contract was was well constructed, and I love that they're going to put him in as most likely what a, a three or four starter, so a consistent guy who can get you the innings, unless it's in the playoffs, evidently. But I I think that that Theo Epstein continues to to probably be. Uh, the second best GM in baseball. Obviously, you guys know that I'm a I'm a big fan of what's going on in the Yankees organization right now. But uh, yeah, uh, th- if the Cubs if the Cubs have a down year and either don't make the playoffs or are eliminated in the first round, this is going to be a massive disappointment, like we haven't seen in baseball in a long time. I mean, it's worth noting that they've made the NLCS three straight years, and last year they were 43 and 45 at the All Star break, and pretty much, you know, not literally, obviously not literally everything, but it's hard to imagine a worst case scenario than what happened the first five or six months of the season, the first like three or four months of the season last year to the Cubs. Kyle Hendricks missed two two months with injury; he had an injured finger, and he was like clearly not 100 percent even when he was pitching. John Lester is on the disabled list for a month. Jake Arrieta is on the disabled list for like, I want to say six weeks or something. And, uh, you know, Kyle Schwarber got sent to the minor leagues. He was really struggling. There was like, there were struggles all over the field and the pitching staff, and they still put it together and made the NLCS. Oh, I was going to say one thing that I, I also really like about the Cubs before we, we move on that I think is really going to help them down the stretch uh, is the fact that Joe Madden continues to have kind of the best platoon of, of really any manager in the game right now that even your guys who are coming off the bench 
uh, could be starting in a lot of other places and they get so much game experience uh, that you're almost playing with a roster of 12 or 13 starters at any point. And I think in August, that makes a difference. And that's that's what I really like about this Cubs organization right now is how deep they are. Yeah, Doc, I, I'm going to let you talk, but I have more things to say. Okay, well, I was After. I was going to I was going to disagree with Pete on the U Darvish contract. I think this is not necessarily a good idea. I mean, they let Jake Arrieta go and then they signed Darvish for a deal that's worth more money. So Arietta goes to the Phillies, signs for three years, $75 million guaranteed. It's a $25 million average annual value. And then they signed Darvish for six years, $126 million guaranteed. And Darvish is, I think, a, a far a far uh, cry from a sure thing in terms of his continued health and longevity. And he looked really bad at the end of last season. In the postseason, he did not perform well for the Dodgers. So I think there are a lot of question marks on Darvish's health. Um, the other thing I'll say is the, the Cubs rotation based solely on last year's performance looks really good. And their fan has them as the number two rotation in baseball. But I think there are significant question marks even on the Cubs rotation. I mean, John Lester's uh, in his age 34 season now. Um, Jose Quintana, I'm a huge Jose Quintana fan. I think he's actually uh, potentially the best pitcher in the division. But I also know he has a fairly low floor, you know, super high ceiling guy. He could emerge their staff ace this year. I hope he does because it'd be fun to watch. But he could also turn into doozy and, and turn into five ERA. And then you Darvish could continue his decline. Kyle Hendricks. I mean, Ishan just mentioned how much of an impact it was last year when he had a, a finger blister. I think Tyler Chatwood's a bright spot. Young guy um, could do a lot of good. But there are, there are big question marks on the Cubs rotation here. Um, I think they're less of a lock than the than, – um, the uh cleveland indians are to win their division because because there are these question marks and i think this is the this is the year for the cubs i think they have one of the best lineups in baseball bar none brian's incredible um they've got they've got i mean kyle schwarber is supposed to be looking a lot better this spring i think they could do some really fun things on the offensive side of the ball but i think i'm worried about the pitching um and i think can i just strongly yeah. disagree with one thing you said about Quintana yeah, sure. having a low floor over the last five seasons, Quintana's ERAs have been 376, 351, 332, 336, 320. And then last year, he had like a couple bad months where his ERA was in the mid fours with the White Sox, but it was right back to 374 with the Cubs. So I think actually Jose Quintana is like the highest floor pitcher on most baseball teams and like one of the top 10 highest floor pitchers in baseball. I think he's like super consistent and actually like sort of lacks the star upside so i kind of have the opposite opinion on quintana okay so so you think that he is he actually has a lower ceiling than i do but a higher floor yeah okay yeah so i mean let me just clarify my remarks by by low floor i don't mean that uh you know he's like at his worst a borderline major minor league pitcher <laughs> i just mean that relative to expectations for the number two starter on the chicago cubs rotation he has a relatively low floor like you know, if if he turns in, I think it's conceivable that he turns in a, uh, you know, a four ERA this year. That's a pretty low floor relative to what you'd expect out of the Cubs number two starter. On the other hand, but I think it's five seasons in the league with the designated hitter. His ERA is in the mid threes every single year. Well, last year, though, I mean, across the two teams at White Sox and Cubs, four point one five was the ERA. His FIP yeah, was three point six eight. So, I mean, he could turn in that again or he could launch a Cy Young campaign and do that. So um, I, I think we, we really just disagree on the, the upside. I'm, I'm kind of okay. bullish on Quintana. Uh, continue. Also, one important thing about the Darvish contract is that the, I think it was like $6 million less or $5 million less in first year average annual value. And that's actually tremendously valuable to the Cubs because it allowed them to stay under the luxury tax, whereas the Arietta contract would have put them over the luxury tax. 
Uh, and so that's in terms of the repeater penalties and their ability to sign free agents in future years. That was like a really big win for the Cubs. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I just got a text from Pete that he is, uh, his audio is frozen. So we'll, uh, we'll press on. Hey, before we go off, can we, can I actually just have like a, a slightly unhinged rant about something real quick? Sure. So uh, I was on Twitter earlier today, saw that, uh, Ken Rosenthal of the athletic was reporting this from Evan Drellick, who's a, uh, Red Sox reporter for NBCS Boston, that Stephen Wright, who's a pitcher on the Red Sox will be suspended 15 games for violating MLB's domestic violence policy. And, uh, this I just I don't know the details of the seven Stephen Wright allegations, um, but I just I just get so frustrated when Major League Baseball decides to levy these like wrist slaps against players for these really serious crimes like domestic violence. Because in the case of a, of a player who uh, commits domestic violence, they're suspended 15 games now. Apparently, is the standard given the Stephen Wright suspension, and that's less than a less than a tenth of the season. It's going to affect his compensation, sure, but it's not going to make a statement about whether or not that behavior is really acceptable in the major leagues. And we have, you know, young boys who look up to these players and want to be like them in every conceivable way. And when they go and uh, commit domestic violence, MLB says, okay, you can't play for the next two and a half weeks. Okay, whoop de doo That doesn't really send the strong message that we need to be sending. If I'm the commissioner, I don't know about you, Ishan. If I'm the commissioner and a player is found guilty of committing domestic violence or a league inquiry finds that he did commit domestic violence, he's banned for the season. And, you know, just like uh, just like uh, PEDs or even a little more harsh, he's banned for the season. I know PEDs 80 games, but the second offense, if it happens again, he's gone. Lifetime ban, can't play baseball again. What do you think? I'm not able to evaluate that this quickly. Uh, I don't know. There's like a tough tension with like punishing people and also like, allowing people to improve uh that i think is like a society-wide issue with the criminal justice system and uh yeah i don't know i don't have a strong opinion i respect the idea that we should be penalizing domestic violence more strongly and that seems like something i could reasonably strongly agree with yeah well i i agree with your rehabilitation point and i strongly support rehabilitative programs for people who are are uh needing it but the fact that we are more lenient on domestic offender domestic violence offenders than we are on uh you know per- performance enhancing drug abusers is crazy to me we should be that i could get behind yeah yeah so anyway thanks for uh, entertaining my rant okay i think that's all we got on uh, al and nl central um any closing thoughts each before we sign off Pete just texted me again he's still having uh, technical issues so um hopefully we'll get it fixed out fixed for next episode but any anything closing Ishan, before we sign off um, I just want to say that my great hope for this baseball season is that uh, hopefully it's not the last one we ever have now that John Bolton is the national security advisor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I share your hope in that. Yeah, that'd be that'd be good if we had more baseball in years to come. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of Third String Podcast. You can find us online, medium.com slash third string. That's three RD string. You can also follow us on Twitter at Ishan underscore Nath, at Pete underscore Laclede, and at Zach Crippen. Until next time, thanks for listening to Third String Podcast. Yeah.